How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 163 of X-Lapsed. And, uh, well, like the uh, ACDC song says, we're uh, back in King and Black. Uh, I'm sorry, that was bad. Uh, let's just hop right in here. We got a little bit to talk about. This is Sword, S-W-O-R-D, volume 2, number 3, which had an April 2021 cover date. The story's called Everywhere, Man. Written by Al Ewing, with art by... Oh boy, how are we saying this name again? Valerio Sheedy, I think. If I'm wrong, please correct me. Also, Ray Anthony Height, Bernard Chang, and Nico Leon. Colors, Marty Gracia. Letters, VCs Ariana Mar. Designs, Tom Muller, head of X's Hickman. Edits, Bisa White Sabolski. Cover price, $3.99. This one went on sale February 10th of 2011. No, 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 2021. Uh, now we open. With Manifold leaving the Spire and leaving Lila Cheney in charge. Now, Manifold's doing the old Bob Newhart telephone routine here, where we don't know exactly what Lila is saying in return, just, uh, you know, Manifold's words. Uh, we get that she's kind of surprised to be left in charge, with the implication being that Gateway is probably better suited for the gig. After all, he's Manifold's mentor. Now, Manifold denies that this is the case, and, well, I mean, what reason does he have to lie, right? I gotta concede here, uh, while I might have a handful of comics with Manifold in them, I couldn't tell you a thing about this dude other than his penchant for yellow jackets at this point. From here we get a double-page dealie of Manifold traveling everywhere. Now, everywhere being eight bright, uh, different brightly and distinctly colored alienish locales. Double-page spread, a roll calling cred follows, and we will be paying attention to Manifold. I'm going to probably be saying Manifold a lot today. Now, our hero finally arrives at his designated destination, Kata Tijuta, which, if Wikipedia is to be believed, is an off-the-beaten-path rock formation or mount in Australia. Now, if we add the word Manifold to our Google search, we find out that this is where he once lived while under the tutelage of Gateway. So, uh, is he or is he not Manifold's mentor? I don't know. Anyway, Manifold is greeted by a pair of fellas having themselves a campfire and a chat. They're named Sammy and Baz. They seem to be related to our main Manifold. Uh, I think he calls them both Uncle. Now, they're chatting about the King and Black candy shell around the Earth, and they're blaming the troubles on Manifold's mob, to which he assumes they're talking about the Krakoans. And nah, mate, not the X-Men. Australia loves our X-Men. Except when, you know, they live there. Sammy and Baz are talking about Eden's other mob, the Avengers. Now, they're the ones screwing the pooch right now. 
Uh, Iron Man in particular is a drongo, which, according to the Google machine, is Aussie slang for idiot or stupid fellow. And uh, yeah, I agree with Sammy and or Baz. Eden, Manifold, says that he really isn't all that tight with Tony Stark, and the only Venger he really sees anymore is King T'Challa. And that's only because he's the most relevant non-Wanda to the non-comics fans these days. Also because he was part of a recent adventure with him where they had their minds wiped and were made to do horrible things in outer space, including killing people. A lot of people, evidently. Uh, probably uh, shouldn't let the Quiet Council know. Anywho, Eden can't stay long because he's got stuff to do. First, he's got to go talk to a lizard guy. <sighs> I can't wait. Um, now, lizard guy, or lizard man, used to be like my go-to when I'd make fun of pre-crisis DC Comics as a kid. You know, I'd say things like, Ooh boy, Superman's gonna go fight a lizard man. You know, because all those stories to me seemed inconsequential, and uh, basically you could read them in any direction, and it wouldn't matter. And sure, I've learned in my adulthood that there's a bit more to those pre-crisis -D pre DC stories than fighting a lizard man, but uh, I've still got that lazy indictment in my back pocket to pull out whenever I see fit. So, now, back to his plans. After he chats up the lizard guy, he's got to go visit with swords opposite numbers. Huh, well, we'll get there. We'll get there. Anyway, before Eden leaves, his uncles warn him to be careful. They're not so sure about this Krakoa place despite telling us like 10 seconds ago how much they love their X-Men. Manifold tells them not to worry. After all, Krakoan law number three is to respect this sacred land, and the Unks ain't impressed, uh, as they had to actually make something like that a law rather than it just being, you know, common knowledge is a little suspect to them. Next up, info page all about... Snark War? Oh, come on. No... I gotta assume that a snark war is declared every time Brian Bendis takes over a book, right? Is this info page all about his recent and thankfully over with run on the Superman books? Because I tell you, he most definitely declared a snark war on poor Lois Lane. No, no, this is actually even more boring than that. This is about yet another generic group of Marvel aliens. Oh man, am I gonna have to start breaking out my lizard guy line about Marvel now? Yikes. So yeah, info page, lizard guys, yada yada yada, I'm bored. We next join Manifold in deep space. He's on the flagship of the Xenax, Xenax, Prince Jagjar. Jagjar? I don't know. I've had more entertaining yawns than that. Um, now Jagjar, Jagjar? Huh. He comments that the Earth has fallen to Null, which is why Eden's here in the first place. He wants Jagjar's mob to help out with stealing some powers. And he even offers up a pair of volunteers named Burner and Lifter, who are giving me very, very strong late Strike Force Moratori vibes here. Um, though those characters were just Burn and Lifter, not Burner and Lifter. Now, these characters were actually members of Magneto's weirder, sillier Brotherhood of Evil Mutants from the late 70s, and that's the same one where he got Peeper. Uh, they would later go on to be Mutant Force, and then the Resistance. Not Resistance, Resistance with a T. Manifold seems to have it in his head that if they could team with the Snarks, they can defeat Null. Now, Jagjar changes the subject briefly and asks Eden if he ever heard of a planet called Ortua, which sounds like a place that would harbor generic Marvel aliens, doesn't it? I figure what we should probably do is just take, like, a whole handful of Scrabble tiles in one hand, alphabet cereal in the other, just chuck them at the wall, 
see how they land, and then we'll just start naming new planets and alien races for the Marvel Universe, you know? Hopefully those that haven't already been taken for, like, a new app or streaming service. So, yeah, sorry, where where, where were we? Um, Ortua. Ortua. Turns out that the Drongo lizard's sister, Kuga, has conquered the place and was going to weaponize it, but then Null destroyed it, which evidently was good news to Jagyar. This is quite dull. Uh, so it would seem as though Null taking his opponent and sister off the board was a welcome event. So he doesn't want to stop Null's path of inky, goopy, conquerous rage. So no deal, Manifold. Thanks for coming. Our man does his portal hoodoo and skadoos, after which Jagyar is murdered. Oh man, what a loss to the Marvel Universe. I... Really hope this doesn't affect the Snark War series on Disney+. Plus. Uh, we don't actually see who done it outside the reflection in the lizard man's eye. And the murderer, I, I don't know who it is here. Uh, they have like a... It looks like they have a triangular head. Like, maybe like a Shi'ar headdress, but really, who knows? And, and honestly, you know, who cares? The next stop for Eden is the Alpha Flight Space Station. And, you know, it's been a while since I last checked in on the Alphas, uh... Look at them being all current-year Marvel, having a space station, probably fighting generic and interchangeable alien threats. Oh, great stuff. Now, upon arrival, he overhears Henry Peter Gyrick on the phone with... somebody. Uh, Gyrick is apparently the acting commander of the Alpha Flight program, which we learn also includes Gamma Flight. Which, uh, hey, y'all, uh, I noticed when I was doing my June DCBS order a few days ago that there is a Gamma Flight limited series coming out. Is that something we're going to have to follow, you think? Uh, it's by Ewing. It sounds like it's spinning out of Immortal Hulk, so I'm not sure if it'll include any sword stuff. Uh, it does have Puck in it, though. Uh, let me know. Let me know what you think. Uh, from here, info page. This is a personnel file on Eden Fessy, Manifold, from Abigail Brand's files. We find out here that Eden is not a teleporter. He just talks to space which um, allows him to teleport. So, I mean, I, I don't want to get into semantics or a debate here or anything, but uh, does Eden's talking to space allow him to do anything other than teleport? Because if not, I mean, dude's a teleporter then. He's also, from what we hear here, a really nice guy. So, the more you know. Anyway, Eden uses his power to eavesdrop on Gyrick's phone call, where he learns that the mutants have entered his crosshairs. And also that Gyrick is now associated with Orcus. Bet you forgot about them. I know I wish I had. This leads us to an info page, and it's a like a heavily redacted Orcus information page. It's classified information. And it looks like we find out here that there are seven direct strategies of the Orcus protocol, and we only get titles for four of them, and we only get names for one. So the first one here is research and development. The person in charge of that is redacted. Two, infrastructure and influence. The person involved in that is Henry Peter Gyrick. Three, operations and offense, redacted. Four through six are fully redacted. We don't know the titles or the names of the folks uh, involved in this. And then in the middle, we have number seven, the central executive, who is redacted. Now, Manifold ports over to Gyrick's desk to swipe the redacted document and blips back to the peak. Unfortunately, he leaves like half a second before Gyrick reveals to his phone mate 
that he has a mole in sword. There's a lot of Bob Newharding going on in this issue. Now, Manifold then returns to the peak where he reports his findings back to Abigail Brand. She don't got much time to chat, however, as the Krakoan contingent still hasn't checked in from last issue. She figures they're probably in dire need of an extraction. Why she didn't send Lila Cheney or Gateway or Amelia Vote or any of the other teleporters is anyone's guess. And so Manifold heads to Krakoa, where he finds many of his teammates and fellow mutants hung upside down by the Canal Corrupted Kid Cable. And that's where we leave it. Next episode, uh, something a little bit different. We're going to take a look at a few Krakoa-relevant chapters out of 2020's Marvel's Voices number one. But for now, let's chat about this issue of S.W.O.R.D., which, um... I don't know if I'm using this word right, but it's a little bit of a dichotomy, isn't it? Um, I don't know if that's the right word, but... A, it's a Reign of X book. B, it's a King in Black tie-in. Like, this one even has the King in Black branding in it and everything, where last issue did not. Now, the way this reads... It, it feels as though, and this is this is just me projecting here, that S.W.O.R.D. was kind of mandated to take part in this crossover. Which, I mean, as a space-based entity, it stands to reason that they would be. It's just kind of a shame that we're still so young in this volume. It's almost... Well, it's, it's definitely a disservice to this book to have to finagle a way to engage with the King in Black looky-loos while attempting to establish itself as a viable and worthwhile addition to the Reign of X Krakoa story. And uh, I think Ewing did a bang-up job walking that tightrope here. He did what he had to do with King and Black, including visiting that lizard guy. But right after that visit, the lizard guy's killed, which I'm assuming is planting seeds for this volume rather than anything Venom or Symbiote-related. So... He, you know, in theory, again, he used this mandate, and again, I'm totally projecting that this is a mandate, to further his own story, I think he did so very well. We get a mystery here, and mysteries are always fun, even when they're located in boring old Marvel space. Now, the Canole Corrupted Kid Cable bits feel like an afterthought, like they were kind of tacked on, and if we're still going by the mandate theory, they probably were. And sure, we're likely to get a big fight next issue. But you know what we didn't get? We didn't get three entire issues of S.W.O.R.D. fighting off Kid Cable. (laughs) And thank goodness for that. Oh, man, take that, Empire Cashins. Now let's talk Gyrick. Um, Now, you know me. I was tired of the Orcus Forge after the first time we read about them back during Hoxpox. Can't say as though I'm looking forward to seeing more of them. But they do appear to figure prominently into Hickman's grand vision, so I'm going to just have to get over myself here. We do learn here that there's a mole in our sword crew. Now, uh, this is interesting. Again, it's a mystery, and mysteries are always fun, even when they're predicated in boring old Orcus land. Um, But I wonder uh, who you think it is, who you all think it is. I mean, there are a few obvious choices, right? I think it would be way too easy for it to turn out to be... Fabian Cortez, right? I mean, it would make total sense. He's kind of the most obvious choice, but uh, maybe too obvious. Now, I wonder, and uh, maybe they'll completely turn the book on its ear and reveal them all to be, I don't know, Abigail Brand herself. 
I mean, there could be a lot of mileage there. Though, uh, I guess unfortunately, that'd probably lead to another book being launched, probably an Orcus-led Alpha Flight or something. Hell, we're probably getting that anyway, but uh, we'll worry about that when it happens. But I think that could be a pretty interesting reveal here. Um, we did see when Manifold returned to the peak. Brand really didn't, uh, she didn't give him much time to talk about his discoveries at the Alpha Flight satellite. And uh, also, she didn't send any other teleporters to Krakoa, despite the fact that she was apparently very worried about the crew that already went there. So, I don't know. I don't know, maybe there's, uh, maybe there's some fire where that smoke is. Uh, let's, let's flip over to our main manifold here. Let's talk about uh, Eden. I feel like this issue is a great introduction for him. Because, like I mentioned during the synopsis, I don't have much experience with him. I could point him out on sight, but I couldn't really tell you anything about him. And now, I, I still don't know much, but I know enough to sort of kind of care about him. So that's a good thing here, and... Such a good way, and, and I mean, going back to the theory that this is a, a forced crossover tie-in thing here, this is as good a way as to, to kind of navigate that as possible here. We're focusing on one character that's going to actually help build this series, but you're also doing it in service of the King in Black story. You're still getting mileage out of both. You're, pl- you're playing both odds here, and uh, uh, Ewing did a great job. Speaking of great jobs, the art was great. And I didn't even realize that there were several artists credited on this issue through my for my first time through it, uh, which is a good sign. Or perhaps it's a sign that I'm even less perceptive <laughs> than I give myself credit for. Um, overall, this was a pretty good issue. Pretty good issue. I was not looking forward to it since it is a King of Black tie-in, and uh, I was afraid we were going to be forfeiting uh, sh- uh, sword momentum in order to just deal with the you know, the, the next mass crossover event. And uh, no, we sidestepped that. So this was a good issue. Definitely worth checking out. But that's all I've got to say about it. Before we get out of here, let's hop into the mailbag here. We're going to start with Damien. He's talking about New Mutants number 15. He says, I have no doubt that you are right in thinking that the various groups of kids are deliberately trying to keep Gabby safe during the fights. They were all there last issue when she was wondering if she would be resurrected. The likelihood that she wouldn't be resurrected is going to color how the other kids view her. It's also possible that they might see her as not belonging. She's different to them, and Warpath has reminded everyone that she was created as a weapon by humans. Back in the Claremont run, the sheer presence of the Shadow King increased conflict. Maybe everyone is keeping Gabby at arm's length as he is increasing their suspicions. You know, that's a great point about Warpath that, uh, I don't know, that really jumped out to me until just now, that he did make this proclamation that Gabby is different and perhaps uh, too weak to overcome her human programming. I mean, he did so right in front of everybody. I didn't really uh, get the significance of that um, my first read-through, and even just until now. That is a... really putting her under a microscope there. That's really pointing things out to these other kids. And, I mean, they're kids, right? Kids might not have the critical thinking that a uh, adult or more seasoned citizen of Krakoa might. So definitely keeping her at arm's length and keeping her as sort of an ostracized other. It's very, uh, very interesting. Uh, Damien continues, I have no doubt that the Shadow King is intended to be separate from Amal Farouk. 
Every time he appears, there is a kind of haze around him. I've read it to be an image of who he really is, but the other characters just see Amal. I can see Xavier resurrecting Amal as someone who had had their life destroyed by the Shadow King without necessarily realizing that the Shadow King could possess him again. Now that's the question. Um, has the Shadow King possessed him again, or is this just Farouk being a creepy weirdo? <laughs> I really don't know. Um, he's coming across as someone it's kind of difficult to get like a bead on, you know? At the end of the issue, he like toasts to the future and to the youth, and I don't know, there's just like this weird earnestness to the character. I don't I don't know, it's, uh, I think this is going to be an interesting, uh, an interesting uh, reveal. Damien continues, It's odd that Cosmar would approach Danny to face her in the Crucible when Danny already told her that she considered her perfect in the previous issue. It must be the Shadow King influencing Cosmar to approach the person who will definitely say no. He wants her to feel alienated. Another great um, observation there that I didn't see until right this very second. That's a really, really good theory there. Um, Danny did, in fact, tell Cosmar that she was perfect. So that is highly suspect that she would be the one that Cosmar would be uh, encouraged to reach out to, to, uh, well, kill her. So that's a very, very interesting uh, idea. And uh, if it is Farouk or the Shadow King influencing Cosmar to do so, that's, uh, that's definitely making a statement here. It's... Uh, uh, Cosmar will feel alienated She's going to feel different She's going to feel like no one's going to help her It's uh, kind of a world wrecker For, uh, for Cosmar there uh, Damien continues The reintroduction of Tyr That is uh, Wolfsbane's uh, son there And the idea of resurrection for him Is something I hadn't thought of I guess I'd considered him a magical creature Rather than a mutant Maybe I'm misremembering it does seem odd that Rain is communicating with Elixir rather than Xavier or Magneto, who have both been mentors to her. That's a great point. That's a great point here. Um, I don't know what the Krakoan chain of command is here. I don't know if it's a breaking protocol to write directly to a member of the Five. You know, are they supposed to be like a direct contact for someone who's looking for a resurrection request? It's pretty weird. Um... Now, Tyr, as someone who could be resurrected, that's not something I'd thought of because I haven't thought of Tyr in, like, eight years. So, uh, when I saw this, it was like, a flood of memories hit me, and I remembered that he existed in the first place. I totally forgot that a strong guy killed him when he was the sort of kind of king of hell or whatever it was, but, uh... I like it. I like it. It's, uh, I, I, you know, I'm a lore guy. I love all lore. Good, bad, and indifferent. I, I'm a fan of it all. I like everything mattering. So it would stand to reason that Rain, someone who has recently resurrected herself, who has a son who is currently off the board, um, would want to see him resurrected and would make that request. Uh, I'm with you, though. It's weird that this wouldn't go through Xavier or Magneto to the five, unless... I mean, sometimes these things happen off-panel. You know, maybe they told her, hey, yeah, go ahead and write to the five. We'll see what they can do. Uh, Damien continues. Overall, though, I'm, I'm loving the new direction for New Mutants. I love the fact that Vita Ayala is giving moments to so many characters whilst also advancing their overall plot. I recently recorded a podcast about the original New Mutants, number 37, which was the first issue of New Mutants I ever read, and I've reread a, whole, a lot of the old series. I feel like Vita Ayala has captured the tone of the original series really well. It was often dark, but always very human. 
I'm really enjoying this take. I agree 100%. I really, really do here. Um, I'm so happy that this is a book that finally has a direction. It feels stable. It also feels like um, this is the place where a lot of those inconvenient questions are going to be asked. And uh, I like it because... You know, we can think about things and we can relate this to real life in in some sort of ways here where youth are often, they're often pictured as being like indoctrinated in some sort of a way, right? They're being taught things, they're being told things, they're being basically given worldviews from people who've experienced things, good or bad or indifferent. And here we have children who are being told the Krakoan way and they've got questions because... They, you know, kids are honest, you know, kids can't, or they can, but they don't always just try to justify or rationalize things or massage things into making sense. If they've got a question, they're going to ask it. They're naturally curious. They haven't been beaten over the head with cynicism yet. So when we get a question from Gabby, hey, I'm a clone. Am I going to be resurrected? It's a, it's a problematic question because... No, no adult was going to ask that question. And we saw how Magic and the gang handled it. They didn't want to answer it. They changed the subject as quickly as they could. It's funny that these questions are coming from the children here. Uh, we saw in Hellions, uh, Orphan Maker asking questions like, well, if Empath's dead, how is Empath standing here in front of me? It's a really, really good and subtle use of youth and the naivete and the curious nature of children here to make these points that we've been waiting to see made since we started this journey. So I'm loving New Mutants. It's a wonderful read, and I really just can't wait for more of it. So thank you so much, Damien, for uh, writing in about that. And I will, uh, hopefully I will remember, to link to your show on New Mutants number 37 in the show notes here. I Fingers crossed I remember. <laughs> but thank you so much, Damien. Next up, Evan Bevins writes in to answer a question we had about Arnim Zola in that Juggernaut series. He says, listening ahead to some mailbags and on the Arnim Zola redesign, it looks like it might be based on the character's appearance in Captain America the Winter Soldier, which I'm sure you've seen many times. Oh yes, many, many, many times. Uh, He continues, in case I'm wrong, Zola appeared on an old-school Matrix-esque screen there. Uh, But given that that movie's nearly seven years old, it seems an odd choice to make him look like that now. Unless maybe the redesign is from an earlier comic I haven't seen. Yeah, I, you know, you guys know me, I don't see the movies. So uh, I didn't know that, uh, I didn't know that Arnim Zola was in the movie. And I also didn't know that uh, he had a redesign here. I suppose for a movie it makes more sense to look like that. Um, I remember, I mean, this is kind of a tangent, but... When they were talking about making the X-Men movie back in the late 90s, people were like, how are you going to make Wolverine's costume work on a human being, right? Because he's got the, you know, the pointy ears and the, you know, the headpiece. And uh, their decision was, hey, we'll take them out of costumes altogether. We'll just put him in leather. <laughs> and that's how it worked. Um, so maybe, you know, you look at Arnim Zola here, and I mean, the sky's the limit with special effects these days, but you got to wonder how... The mainstream, non-comic fanny, looky-loo audience would uh, receive the classic look of Arnim Zola rather than just a, a Matrix-esque screen. So uh, you're probably right. This is probably where it's coming from here. I don't know why that's being 
shoved into the comics here. Uh, maybe, like you said, maybe there's comics we haven't seen yet where maybe the face was smushed. I don't know. Maybe he's in a different body. Really couldn't tell you. This is probably the most I've ever thought of Arnim Zola in my entire life. But <laughs> thank you so much for writing in to answer that question, Evan. Uh, finally, we got a note from Facebook from our friend Andrew Franklin regarding Excalibur 18, which we talked about just last episode. He says, has anyone read any other Teeny Howard book? And if so, was it as unclear and as hard to follow as this book? Because I'm trying my damnedest to give the writer the benefit of the doubt, but after 18 of these things, I'd be hard-pressed to willingly read another Howard-penned book. And I'm going to leave that one for you all to uh, to answer here. I do not have any other Howard experience. I've read about her Strike Force run, mostly because I thought for a second it was a a rehash or a revitalization of Strike Force Moratori. It thankfully was not, but uh, I did check to see what it was all about and found the reviews to be. Uh, very, very reminiscent of how we discuss Excalibur. You know, it's very stop-starty. It's a little unclear. Scenes just kind of end. It's uh, It jumps around a bit. So I don't know if this is just her style of writing. If it is, hey, it is. But uh, I suppose after a little while, we're going, to, uh, we're going to be getting a second Teeny Howard book in our rotation here with the X-Corp miniseries. So we will... Probably all find out together, but if anybody has a more solid answer to that for Andrew and for the rest of us, please feel free to let us know. Or better yet, uh, go over to Facebook, join 90s X-Men, and uh, and chat us up there about it. Uh, help answer some questions and join in on some fun conversation. Speaking of which, we uh, talked about another bit of uh, news on the Facebook group earlier today. And uh, not often I get to talk about news, but... Marvel just released a timeline for upcoming Reign of X launches. And it looks like this line is going to continue to bloat, as if the seams weren't already showing. We're going to go through all of these here. It's uh, we got like five or six things here to talk about. Now, they have listed as On Sale Now, Children of the Atom, by Vida Ayala and Bernard Chang. That one's in the hopper already for a review. Just got to get to that point in our read-through. Then April 2021 sees Way of X, new title by Cy Spurrier and Bob Quinn. May 2021 sees another new title. This is that miniseries X Corp by Tini Howard and Alberto Focci. Uh, June 2021 is the Hellfire Gala. Nothing launch in there, but uh, 12 issues all about the Hellfire Gala. July 2021 is X-Men number one. Yeah, we're doing that again. Uh, we are relaunching with the new team. Oh boy, I mean, X-Men's going to be on volume six. Mm, it feels cheaper with every subsequent volume, doesn't it? The good news is the creative team. You ready for this? If you haven't seen the news yet, X-Men will be written by Jerry Duggan with art by Pepe Larraz. Oh, man. I am looking forward to that. It looks like we're finally going to have our team. This is this is going to be a goodie. This is going to be a goodie. August 2021, redacted number one. Yeah, it's classified. We don't know what this thing is called. Um, it looks like it's a two-word title. The first word is the. So we don't know 
what it's going to be. What we do know is that it's written by Leo Williams of X Factor, with art by Valerio Sheedy of Sword. So uh, that's interesting. Makes me wonder if we're going to see any uh, any shuffling in the the creative chairs here. We jump to September 2021, the final month of this timeline, and we get question mark number one. We don't know what this book's going to be. It is by Jonathan Hickman, with art by Redacted. We don't know who's going to be drawing this here. Um, If anybody has any guesses, please feel free to let me know. Um, I know some of the big news of late is that John Romita Jr. is back at Marvel, but I think he's on a Moon Knight title, so maybe he won't be on the question mark book uh, that Hickman's writing here. So, that's uh, one... T- that's, that's a few new titles in it. I mean, X-Men, we're just going to replace the old volume with a new volume. But uh, that is... We're going to be up one, two, three, four, five books. Five books. One of them, of course, is a miniseries. I, I mean, they all might be miniseries. Who knows? But uh, five new books. To add to our 12? (laughs) Oh boy, we're never going to catch up. So, I mean, where does this leave the rest of our line here? Are we going to see some books thinned? I know know we're losing Cable. I mean, we're going to be losing Cable for sure. I hope we don't lose Hellions. I hope we don't lose X-Factor. I hope we don't lose Marauders. But, I mean, we're... uh, I don't know. I don't know. So, I don't know if we're going to have just creators doing double duty. I don't know exactly what's going to happen here. I mean, if we look at things now, we've got Teeny Howard doing Excalibur and X-Corp, the miniseries. Leia Williams writing X-Factor and Redacted. Valerio Shidi drawing Sword and Redacted. Jerry Duggan writing Marauders and X-Men. And Vida Ayala writing New Mutants and Children of the Atom. So... I guess we'll have to uh, wait and see. I, I look forward to hearing your guys' thoughts on uh, the uh, the summer of Reign of X here and uh, everything that it will afford us and all of the discussions we will be having. But that's the news for today. Uh, again, I'd love to hear from you about anything, anything in the world. I'm very lonely. You could find me on Twitter at Ace Comics or you could shoot me an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can find blog posts and show notes over at chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. There's also xlapsed.chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. As mentioned, we have a fun Facebook group. It's 90s X-Men on Facebook. We're having some really good chats over there. Uh, I actually just shared uh, some of the Victor Bogdanovic quotes about uh, about the X of Swords debacle on there to, to discuss, uh, the ones that Damien told us about last episode. So we're discussing those there. We're talking about... This uh, Reign of X timeline there, we're talking about a whole bunch of stuff. So, hope to see you guys there. And, uh, hey, for all your Chris and Reggie listening needs, you can go to chrisandreggie.podbean.com, available on all your noise aggregation sites and devices and applications and all those other words that I say. Um, Yes, but that is it for today. Uh, Next time out, as mentioned, we're doing something a little bit off the beaten path. Marvel's Voices Number 1, which sees... A one-panel cameo first appearance of the Children of the Atom from like a year ago. So that'll be interesting to, maybe not so much interesting to talk about, but it'll be interesting to see. But I hope you're looking forward to that. I'd like to thank you all so much for sharing a little bit of your day with me today. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. 
See ya.